Uh, week five of the science of compassion. And uh, actually, to be honest, I've come out of these last two talks today feeling very challenged and, and you know, somewhat confused in a good way about the dilemmas that can be faced. The topics today have been... Um, Oh, what have the topics today been? <laughs> Stan, so challenged. His, his mind's racing. That's how a thousand, I am. A thousand things. Well, um, is there a difference between being ethical and compassionate? Well, there you go. So, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Naomi presented on that topic. And uh, what are the differences between sympathy and empathy? Mm. Uh, with me is Dr. James Kirby. Hello, James. G'day, Stan. How and all the, the gang from the Science of Compassion class. <laughs> Hi, guys. We're, um, we're really encouraging the guys to um, speak up today and, and to, to give us their thoughts about uh, those two very interesting topics. Um, James, listening to the topics today, how has that left you feeling? Uh, pretty good. Um, it's pretty good a feeling. Um, I'm more a judgment, I suppose. Uh, yeah, no, I feel. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question, Stan. I guess one one of, one of my takeouts uh, is the fact that uh, I think often when making my own decisions in life, um, you often go with your gut. Um, but what's your gut informed by? Um, like personal beliefs, experiences, and so on. Um, usually uh, kind of offer some kind of guidance or way of navigating through decision making. Uh, but certainly I think ethics offer a really nice uh, way of thinking through some of the more day-to-day -day decisions that you go through and just sort of waking up to those different decisions as they occur because you know you make ethical decisions uh, throughout your, the course of your day. I mean just have to see the uproar that's been going on in the media regarding you know reusable plastic bags you know of, of, of an ethical issue that's just kind of grabbed the whole whole country and nation let alone uh, what's going on now with climate change um, and different policies being thrown around and I think one of the the things that becomes really quite tricky and I think uh, Naomi sent around a TED talk for us to watch really raised is people shy from ethical discussions because there can be uh, uh, controversy so people might have a disagreement and if there's a disagreement that can be bad because people can get angry or frustrated or irritated or judgments occur and so people avoid them as opposed to just trying to understand them uh, without necessarily personalizing so uh, yeah and I think that's why I asked how you were feeling because we can uh, get very uh, sort of caught in the the intellectualizing of, of these sorts of things but one of the things I've noticed today from the talks is is just some 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 emotion that that comes up in the, the difficulties associated mm. with with especially uh, some of the the ethical uh, slash compassionate decisions that we might be making. I was thinking about it over the weekend, and uh, you mentioned a couple of difficult ones there, but the one that I was focused on uh, relates to the complexity around food security versus biodiversity. So on the one hand, food security is important. It's important for people around the world. There's 7.6 or over a billion people in the world. And having food security is a part of the puzzle, I guess, in preventing or alleviating human suffering. 
Um, so we have the production of food animals, cattle or sheep, as well as uh, food crops, grains, and so on. Um, and this is sort of difficult, though, too, because we now have the question of um, you know, animals being shipped around the world, live exports, uh, and so food security for people can mean suffering for animals. Um, and then for the sake of having these food animals and maybe even trying to reduce their suffering when we're having them on our properties and that sort of thing, it's argued that we then have to manage pests. Uh, and so one of the things that gets argued for the sake of the farm animals is to be able to cull pests. And so now we're culling or shooting kangaroos who might be eating the, the food substances for the cattle or the sheep. Um, can anyone guess how many, what percentage of, of missed shots there are for professional shooters who are culling kangaroos? How often do they miss, do you think? Oh, okay. <laughs> One in three. No. It's interesting. The, the RSPCA have said that actually 4.1% of kangaroos were not instantly killed with headshots. Um, now, but... Um, I thought it would have been way higher as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if we think about it, 31.5 million kangaroos in the decade between 2000 and 2010 um, were culled or killed. But uh, even if 95.9% .9 were killed instantly, that still means there's like 1.3 million kangaroos who were misshot and suffered uh, you know, in, on their way to, to death. Not taking into account, of course, you know, the, the young that are left behind, that are perhaps you know, clubbed to death or left to starve and so on. And so you see what I mean? That on, at one level, there's human suffering and providing food and so on for people around the world and in maybe culturally appropriate ways and other things. And then we've got the food animals themselves that are, and how they're treated and the suffering that, that, that they might endure. And then we've got the native animals and how we're dealing with those and, and the, the way that we sort of justify the killing of native animals for the sake of the farm animals. Um, and then for those of you who perhaps say, well, I'm vegetarian. Um, we still have to have land to grow crops and to grow grains and fruits and so on. And, and then uh, biodiversity suffers because the, 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 um, you know, the animals and the plants that really should be or are kind of you know, there, um, a whole range of species might, might suffer from that. And so that's what I mean. We've got this food security versus biodiversity. They're sort of at odds with each other. And ethics and compassion and yet at different levels there's sort of suffering as a result of, of, um, of these choices that we're making. And so this is what I was going to throw out to you guys now and, and you know if, if it's sort of a bit mind-blowing so it might be hard to, to think of how to respond but what, what comes up for you when you kind of hear that or, or think about those sorts of numbers and figures and the story there? Any thoughts? It almost seems like a loss-loss situation, in a way. Like, it, one's gonna, one person's going to lose either way. It, it almost feels like a loss-loss situation. In, in some way or another, there's going to be suffering. And it feels kind of 
sort of overwhelming to know quite how to make these right ethical or compassionate decisions. Any other thoughts? <laughs> it it seems like humans are ruthless. Um, yeah, well, th there's this sort of sense that we have that we are the priority and therefore we make choices first and foremost that is about ourselves. Sometimes it's ourselves in terms of our own privileges and getting what we want, but sometimes even that idea of human suffering being given priority over other living creatures is an interesting dilemma. One other comment? Is there really a way to ever eliminate total suffering, though? Like, is there, I don't think there's any one way to relieve any suffering, every suffering, is it? Is there any way that we can relieve or alleviate all suffering? Um, and it, it does feel like the answer is no. And in fact, that, that's a really good point, isn't it? That suffering is a part of life. And so we're trying to to do things all the time based on ethics, based on compassionate motivations, to wherever possible um, do no harm and, and be more helpful. But we can never solve all of these you know, very, very tricky problems. I do have a book coming out called How to Remove Suffering in 10 Steps, so uh, <laughs> if you would like to purchase it. Uh, but no, um, I'm kidding, that will I'm be kidding, a, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That will be a major seller. <laughs> but some of the, there's two other things you mentioned there, I think, uh, sorry, two points I wanted to make about that thing you mentioned. Um, about this idea of prioritising perhaps human life over others. You know, just in some of the terms we use, just pests, for example, mm. to, 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 to describe other living creatures, or weeds to describe uh, plants that we particularly don't like because they might take up more water than the other plants we want to have grow. Mm. Um, it's amazing the things we'll do uh, to, to make perhaps uh, not paying attention to them or not caring for them or, or culling or killing easier for us. So using those kinds of words helps mm. that process. It, it mm. reduces that kind of dissonance a little bit. Oh, no, they're pests. Get rid mm. of them. Um, it is a nice way of doing that. Uh, the other thing it reminds me of is there's a great thought experiment. I've forgotten the philosopher um, who put this one out there, but Paul Bloom recently wrote an article about it. It's this idea of, um, you know, you can give a shock. So if I was to administer a shock to Stan, it would be so small, the shock, um, that he actually couldn't feel the shock, couldn't actually notice being shocked, that the shock would be such a low level. But then the next person who comes in and, and does it, it goes up that um, you know, fraction of a level again. And so you can't still notice that difference. But over time, if a million people press the button, Stan's going to get a pretty lethal shock. And you will feel it. So you might not feel the, the, the minute steps moving forward. Imperceptible they are. Um, but by the millionth shot, bang, you know, well, not even millionth, you know. Uh, well before then, it's caused a great deal of pain. And you see this in social media too. You might have something up there, you post something, and you might get sort of one negative comment, and that's okay. And you might not feel like you've caused any harm by putting one negative comment on there. But for then the person logs on, they reads the, the post they've put up, and then they've seen a thousand negative comments, or even more than that. Um, then it can really leave some, you know, imprint, as it were. But if I was just one of them, how, how you know, how important was my... You know, if they can't tell the difference to just one, what's the difference? You know, it's kind of that tricky ethical dilemma again. Mm. And I, I, I think that, you know, once the, the millionth kangaroo is, mm. is taken down, then that actually uh, changes the, the kind of the, 
the um, the population of of kangaroos and and the the way that um, our biodiversity even operates, given they are you know one of the apex herbivores, if there's such a thing, um, in, on our country. Yeah, what's the tipping point? And the other thing that I thought was interesting about the second presentation oh, um, was, you know, what is the role then of, of empathy and sympathy here? And being able to, uh, you know, think about a kangaroo as a pest, that we're going to cull it, um, and forgetting to have that kind of empathy or sympathy for other living creatures as well. Um, and that's where I'm... I feel like sympathy kind of is still a useful thing in clinical practice, to be honest, and, and, and also in, in compassionate sort of practice as well in terms of just feeling moved, um, moved enough by the person or the living creature at the other end to, to actually be motivated to, to help. I was thinking about this as well, and, and for me, empathy is kind of like, oh, whereas sympathy is kind of like, oh. Um, that's how I think of what, them. What's compassion? Compassion is, right, let's do something. Um, did you have any other thoughts? You made a really important point about empathy and sympathy, but also distress tolerance, motivation for uh -huh. well-being, and the way that they all operate together. Yeah. What were your thoughts about that with respect to compassion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think they're important. Good man. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Nancy Eisenberg's done a lot of work around this space for many, many years, um, but as have others as well. I mean, it's very hard to, to sort of see someone's response or be uh, with someone and respond to them and, and it just be straight sympathy, straight empathy, or, or um, perhaps your ability to tolerate might be the key factor that delineates which, which way you, you go. Um, but certainly the three kind of really do hang together. Um, you know, the sympathy might, might be your initial automatic involuntary reaction to someone. Um, but if you see that someone um, who's hurt is, uh, is, there's blood and I've got a bit of a fear of blood, well, that will probably be a blocker for me because uh, my tolerance isn't too good for blood. And I'm sympathetically moved by this person's pain, but I'll probably run away or call, <laughs> or call triple O or something like that. Someone else get in here, I can't, I can't get near that. Um, although the person who's hurt and bleeding would probably want someone to come closer towards them. Um, and then the empathy part is trying to get a sense of what does that other person really want, you know, trying to be curious and imaginative about what it would be like to be in that position. And uh, that's really hard to do when you don't know them either. Um, certainly the more you know somebody, the more you can start to get a sense of what it is that they would be thinking and how it is that they would be feeling. Uh, so, you know... Uh, Again, I'm talking about Paul Bloom a bit today, but Paul Bloom talks about this arrogance of empathy as well, you know. So you might have um, a homeless person. Um, I, I had a couple of people actually in, in therapy who were homeless who I'd see. And it, it would strike me, I try to imagine what it would be like to be homeless, but having never been homeless, I can't fully appreciate what it must be like to, to be homeless. But sometimes we can try to do it. Oh, yeah, I can imagine it must be. And you can even say it. I can imagine it must be so difficult for you. Um, and there's like an arrogance there because it's like I now know your experience, but you really don't know the experience of what it's like to live day by day on the on the streets. Are we gonna, James? We actually have a a comment from the yeah. the, the gang. Oh, just um, kind of extending on that. Do you think, as a recipient of empathy, sometimes it's actually not enough? Sometimes you need to talk to someone who has had that experience, and maybe that's where like group therapy is good, where there's um, other people that. Yeah, uh, 
great, great point, Renee, and that that ties in a, a and it'd be different for for different people, of course, but but certainly um, the idea of common humanity, like you 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 know, it's not just you alone, isolated by yourself with with your struggle, um, so it's not your fault, you know. We all go through life struggles and. Um, and sometimes being with others who have gone through that is hugely important. Hmm. Yeah, the question was, do you think that um, empathy can sometimes not necessarily be enough, that we might want to actually be heard and understood and with someone who has gone through something the same and, and the common humanity, as you say, is important? Well, we did that compassionate other exercise in class and part of that was if you were to go to them with your problem, would they have to be somebody who has also experienced the same difficulties you've experienced? So if you had experience or are going through depression, does that compassionate other who you're imagining who is there for you, um, do they have to have an experience of what it was like also to have gone through depression and, and perhaps now no longer be suffering depression? It's a really um, good, good point and good question. Well, I think uh, this has been a very thought-provoking morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, Naomi and Josephine, for your excellent uh, presentations and um, I'm sure that it'll just be even better next week. So thanks guys. Thanks, thanks. James. Thanks, we'll see mate. you next week. Bye. Bye.